everyone. I am Tuesday. And I am Sherman. Welcome to the show. The unnamed show. <laughs> it's, uh, welcome to the Tuesday Simmons Story Club. Is that what we called it? Tuesday Simmons Story Club is good. That has, that has a good, like, rhythm to it. Well, I guess we're rolling with it then. Alright, looking through this novel again, a little pressed for time on reading it. Oh, having already read it, though, I was just looking through it for, you know, whatever that word is. It's very dense. Man, there's notes and paragraphs, and they say so many words. Yeah, some of these pages, half of them are notes that within them have their own notes. Yeah, yeah. And that was weird to get used to, because I thought it would be an actual reference at first. And it's just... Pratchett's opportunity to take a joke. Uh, we're talking about Guards, Guards, by the way. I don't guards, know, Guards, the book Guards, Guards. By Terry Pratchett of Discworld. I don't know if we said that. We did before we said the intro, which <laughs> means we didn't. Yeah, which means we didn't. This is the one where they get a dog and get married. Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> no, I didn't. We're talking about Guards, Guards. This is going to be a full spoiler discussion, so if you haven't read it and want to, please go read it, because despite some complaints that I personally have, it's definitely worth taking a look at. You'll have a grand old time, and it's hilarious. Errol's great. How do you want to go through this? That's a good question. Okay, so there's pre-dragon plot and post-dragon plot. Well, because the dragon stuff appears within the first maybe like 50 pages but are you saying like when the dragon like declares itself king and starts demanding sacrifice okay so you're saying before what happens on the back page of the book and the actual interesting bit (laughs) yeah yeah exactly okay so here's my problem i think with this book i want to get it out of the way first so that we can just discuss the more fun and interesting parts yeah yeah and mostly i think this is just a problem with the publishing industry but like 70 percent of this book is spoiled by just reading the back cover fair enough yeah Uh, it talks about like you just said the dragon becomes king but that doesn't happen until page 270 which means that there's only 130 pages left in the book. Okay, so pre-dragon plot can be broken down a little bit, but I think post-dragon plot, I don't exactly remember what happens there, but I know that I remember it being very complicated, as the resolutions to all these Discworld books tend to be. Yeah, they're... Like, I just finished reading more... And there were about eight separate things that Mm -hmm. happened right at the end. And I was like, oh, this is the last thing. Nope. Oh, this is... Nope. Nope. Okay. Yep. So pre-Dragon, I guess let's talk about that. And then we can try and break down what happened at the end here. All right. So at the beginning of the plot... We're introduced to the town guard. I think this is this this is the first book in that kind of line of Discworld novel, isn't it? Yeah. So in this one, the town guard are like four people. It's uh, Sam Vimes, who is their grizzled commander. There's Colonel Colon. Mm-hmm. 
there's or, or is uh, it Sergeant Colon? Sergeant Colon, yes, yeah. that's correct. Corporal Vimes and uh, Private Carrot. Yeah, yeah. So the the scene that we're set with is that Private Carrot Iron Founderson has just joined the town guard, mm-hmm. and he's the you know he's like the he, the bright eyed rookie. <laughs> he's the adopted son of dwarves. But he's just a normal human. He's a he's an above average tall human. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like six. He's like six foot two or six yeah, foot four or something. Yeah, he's he's not like really really tall, but he's like twice the size of his dwarven father. Yeah, yeah. I think the first time we're introduced to him, he is literally talking, like his father is breaking the news to him that he is not a dwarf. <laughs> and he's like, I don't understand. Whereas, like, his father has to, like, climb up a flight of stairs to be able to be on eye level with him. <laughs> I-, I forget what happens after we're introduced to the lot of them. Uh, Carrot has a completely non-magical sword. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he has a birthmark that kind of looks like a uh, a crown. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. I kind of see where this is going. On his shoulder. And his sword is so notable because there's no... It's not magic at all. It doesn't have any spells on it. It doesn't have a legend attached to it. There are no runes. It can't... Like, it's not magically enchanted, so it's so sharp so as to be able to always swing true or cut through anything it's It's just just, a sword (laughs) it's just like a a good sword with no bells or whistles (laughs) it's not ornamented or anything like that all right and this is what we call foreshadowing yeah yeah (laughs) but he takes this sword and his uncle gives him or the traitor whatever gives him a book Mm-hmm. And the book is all just the extensive history of laws in Ankh-Morpork right. that nobody obeys anymore. <laughs> so he just know, yeah, he knows all the laws. <laughs> yeah, he knows every single law because he was told that a guard should memorize the law book front to back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And because he doesn't understand nuance or anything like that, he's like, just like, oh, okay. oh, you just read it and you memorize everything. So he does, <laughs> which is a running gag in the book. He's just listing off all these archaic rules that everybody yeah. is breaking. No, no observing fish on Sunday. Yeah, I'm going to try and find a passage of him doing this here. So there are just long passages where he goes, It is my duty to warn you that you are to be reported for consideration of prosecution on some or all of the following counts to wit. One, one, I, that on or about 18th Groon last on a place known as Sweetheart Lane, the Shades, you did unlawfully vent flame in a manner likely to cause grievous bodily harm in contravention of Clause 7 of the Industrial Processes Act 1508, and that, and then it goes on, uh, yeah, kind of like just, that, and he'll just do that with everyone. <laughs> is he is he addressing the dragon? Yes, in he, that passage, he is addressing the dragon in that passage. That's pretty good. <laughs> Which means he is <laughs> arresting a dragon, <laughs> unlike industrial venting charges. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like essentially pollution. <laughs> yep. Like he charges the dragon with like manslaughter <laughs> as. <laughs> <laughs> essentially with vandalism and arson like all I mean, this stuff 
that's true the dragon did do all that yeah but the joke of course being that it's a dragon <laughs> and it's a, yeah so carrot uh joins the guard and the overarching story of this one somehow ends up with vimes in jail i uh, not vimes uh well it, yeah vimes yeah vimes but uh veterinary as well what's the political plot so there's a group of let's politely call them idiots okay okay who are being led by a more conniving and somehow bigger idiot that wants to summon a dragon so that they can find a king so that Ankh-Morpork will have this guy kill the dragon and become king and then like the plan isn't really fleshed out from there (laughs) that's just the first goal (laughs) And the guy leading the group doesn't want to tell the other people what he's doing because he's essentially just going to kill all of his cohorts and then get new, better cohorts. Okay, yeah, yeah, of course. And the guy never... Like, he's able to get a king, but why? Why would you do that? You just you just <laughs> made someone king. Yeah. You're and just it, plotting to plot. And it wasn't you. Like, (laughs) yeah, you didn't set it up so you could kill the dragon. Yeah, you just, he just sets it up so that some random dude can kill the dragon. And we don't even ever learn the guy's name. (laughs) Who's who's the hero that kills the dragon? Like, he's not- Oh, wait, they genuinely, that, that's not, I thought, it's not one of the main characters? No. That's great. No, he just shows up. With a sword and like swings it around and prances a little bit and then like vaguely whacks it in the vicinity of the dragon and then the dragon disappears. So they decide to make him king. Well, yeah, obviously. Okay, so then does is that what results in Vetinari being in jail or was he sent to jail under the dragon's reign? No, so the guy becomes king. Yeah. And Vetinari, the patrician. Patrician who he's a big schemer. Almost every scheme against him in the city to like take him down was started by him. Yeah. Because that in his mind keeps order. Because everybody's always too busy trying to get rid of him, as opposed to, like, actually messing up how the city runs by going against each other. Yeah. <laughs> I love Ankh-Morpork. It's such a good setting. Yeah, it's every chaotic city you could ever think of rolled o- over into one. Exactly. I love the des- the descriptions of the Arcane University, how- describing how it, like, folds in on itself. Yeah. A really cool fantasy idea that is immediately undone by the note attached to it that's like, well, actually, space and time is distorted um, in all spaces with large amounts of books. Mm-hmm. Like L space is brought up, which is just short for library space. Yeah. Where if you go deep enough into a library, you might come out in another universe. <laughs> Uh, or you might come out earlier in the timeline of your own universe. Yeah, yeah. That's what happens when you enter the library door. Yeah. We were talking about uh, Vatinari being imprisoned. He's fine with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah, literally, like, anything that happens to Vatinari, he is generally in control of the situation. 
Yeah, he, he's got contingencies and counter-contingencies and contingencies for those contingencies. Yeah. Like, everything he does has likely been planned out years in advance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It makes you wonder when he sits down and actually plans anything. Yeah. Because y- you've got to think that he's planning about, like, four or five years ahead. Oh, no, yeah. All the time, and then just, like following the plan (laughs) so let's see i do like that the ending of this one the the guy just showing up or not the ending but the guy just showing up and being king i love how in in a lot of discworld novels especially these town guard ones yeah it's just about the characters not doing anything and then the actual guy who is you know really gonna solve the problem shows up the king doesn't really solve the problem. Yeah. It's, if anything, Errol solves the problem, but the guards are just kind of, like, there. They're, yeah. They're this group of ineffectual, just sad, angry people. The guards can't do anything. Yeah. Because even though Carrot's, like, pretty strong, mm-hmm. he's still just a guy. Yeah, he... Pretty much. Vimes is drunk constantly. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, cynical and <laughs> uh, unfazed by the world around him. Yeah, he, he doesn't think he can do anything. Nobs cannot take a walk down the street without, like, stealing <laughs> the fucking linings off of the gutters. <laughs> yeah, knobby knobs. Um, and Colin is, like, he's just kind of past his prime. Yeah, he's really out of shape. Mm-hmm. He boasts about all the cool stuff that he did when he was young, but... <laughs> but hasn't really done anything recently. Yeah, and this is especially apparent when he tries to shoot the dragon with a bow and arrow. Oh, is he, like, afraid of it? Oh, yeah, he's terrified of it. But he says, my lucky arrow, my lucky arrow, <laughs> it's a million in one shot. And they're like, well, million in one shots always work, but what if it's only, like, a thousand in one shot? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, that might not work then. But no, he he can't shoot the bow anymore. He can't run at all. He barely fits into his... Into his breastplate. Breastplate, yeah. He's not as cynical as Vimes. He's, he's kind of a beat, actually. He's in, like, a good marriage. He's happy. Until the king comes around. Mm-hmm. Which, at that point, his missus starts embroidering crowns on everything and buying special dishes like in name of the king one of the funny things about colin is that he claims his marriage has gone so well because his wife works in the day and he works at night so (laughs) so yeah they never see each other and they only talk to each other in brief stints in either the morning or the evening take notes (laughs) no don't (laughs) these are problematic people (laughs) Yeah, so... Yeah, what haven't we covered yet? The group of crazy people, and they all call themselves, like, brother and then their job. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, brother doorkeeper. Brother carpenter. Brother carpenter. Brother fingers is the thief. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brother watchtower is the the guy that stands along the watchtower. (laughs) Yeah, he's the watchtower guy. Yeah, and then there's the, the supreme overlord of... Like, the universe. Brother Supreme Overlord of the... No, not even brother. He's just, like, the Supreme Arc-whatever. Arc yeah, the Supreme the Supreme Archmagus. Yeah, and, and that's just... What's his name? Veterinary's assistant. Wants. Wants? Yeah, Wants. Oh, okay. I remember that character. 
Yeah, once was the guy that summoned the dragon, which one once is not very good at scheming. Yeah, he just has been the assistant to like the best schemer ever. So he knows how to do stuff, but he really has no purpose. Yeah, and he doesn't like he has no grasp on the grand picture or anything. Mm-hmm. Vetinari is the big picture guy, whereas Wants is more the nitty gritty because he's Vetinari's assistant. He essentially runs things when Vetinari is off doing something else. Yeah. So he's really good at the day to day operational stuff. He's really good at doing all the things that Vetinari plans. Yeah, but he can't for the life of him come to grips with. Anything beyond, like, straightforward doing of the process. Yeah. Which is evidenced in the fact that he keeps thinking he's seeing Vetinari's ghost when he's running through the castle, but it's just Vetinari running around through secret passages and messing with him. (laughs) (laughs) Reasons to fake your own death. Mess with your assistant who tried to kill you. So what is what does he actually manage to do with this whole like what happens to him after the king guy shows up? So once becomes like the personal assistant of the king. Oh yeah, which, of course, of course. <laughs> you would assume a good planner would then be like, oh, I can rule the kingdom from the shadows. I can, yeah, uh, <laughs> I can control him for yeah. my own name. And and remember, we don't even know the guy's name. Yeah, yeah, king. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's called Rex Victus or something, but that just means, like, king of whatever. Yeah. And I love that because we're on the ground level of the story. We're literally with the town guard. (laughs) So it would make perfect sense that the town guard wouldn't really know the name of... Of the guy who just showed up. Yeah, and, and is now suddenly the ruler... Uh, they just kind of, like, are aware of his title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And nobody else in Ankh-Morpork knows either, because there's this scene when Vimes goes in to his favorite restaurant, because it's got a lot of carbs and tasty, fatty, boiled yeah. meats. Isn't it like, it's some kind of, like, soup shop, isn't it? Yeah, it's a soup shop that... Like, the grease in the grease pits have never been scrubbed out. Like that one, uh, like that one Japanese soup, uh, like, ramen shop. Where they've been boiling the same pot of ramen, or pot of soup for, like, 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's just, like, a a thick caldera around (laughs) the bowl. Yeah. The shop owner doesn't know the name of the king, either. Oh, yeah. He's just kind of been able to read the signs. (laughs) They, They say he's the king! What's his name? Uh, Rex Victus. Rex Victus. So, what is the conflict going forward after this king has showed up? So, Wants is doing all of his... Well, Wants... All is, of his bidding. Yeah, Wants doesn't summon the dragon anymore. Okay. Because Wants was the one summoning the dragon. Yeah. But the dragon remembers how it was summoned. So, and summons itself. So it reverse engineers the summoning to be able to summon itself to <laughs> Ankh-Morpork. And it feeds off of magic. So once it gets there, it eats the magical energy around Unseen University. Yeah. And now it's good. It can just stick around now. Like 
That's fucked up. Yeah. It comes up, it roasts the king. Yeah. <laughs> and it finds Wants, who it now has a mental link with, because Wants summoned it so many times. And it's like, Wants, guess what? You're gonna rule this kingdom. And Wants is like, what? Great. Awesome, this works out for me. Yeah, by doing everything that I say, I know where you sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I. that's not a good position to be in. Yeah, the dragon always knows where Wants is. Wants asks the the head of the uh, Guild of Assassins to, like, kill him <laughs> because <laughs> he's in so much misery with the dragon. Yeah, yeah. So Wants sets up this system where they're going to sacrifice virgins of noble birth mm-hmm. once a month. Yes, yes. And, of course, they go after Sam Vime's wife. Uh, which is built up earlier in the story. Or they're kind of courting. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, they, it's Im- heavily implied that they get together at the end. Yeah. But oh, in later books they are, actually. They they are married later? Mm-hmm. Cool. That, Sorry, that is a spoiler. Nah, that's a relationship I can get down with. And, yeah. And it's pretty well telegraphed. Oh, yeah. So, God, what's her name? Lady Rathkin. Rathkin? Yeah. Lot Ramkin? Is it Ramkin or Rathkin? Lady Sybil Ramkin? Sybil Ramkin, there we go. She breeds swamp dragons, and... There's this beautiful little one. <laughs> he's a little malformed, but, but he's got a big heart. Errol is... So swamp dragons are described as, like, failures of evolution. Yeah. <laughs> it's a miracle that they ever even survive past infancy, because... They've got this laundry list of diseases that are all genetic that can happen to them. They have these deformed wings and legs. Yeah. Uh, If they can't fly by a certain point in their life, breeders will just straight up euthanize them because they'll very likely just explode. Like, (laughs) that's practicality. Yeah. It's, they're, they shouldn't exist. At all. And yet they're just like the... (laughs) Some of the cutest, funniest creatures in how they're described. So Errol is one of the ones that can't fly. And Sybil Ramkin is like, I might have to, you know... Might have to take him out. You know, he's gonna start inflating. So Vimes essentially adopts... Adopts (laughs) this this about-to-die little creature. Yeah, this misfit creature, which goes well with the story. Uh, every single one of the guards are misfits in their own right. Oh, yeah. And Errol is definitely a misfit. He eats everything. He particularly likes eating charcoal, but he also eats a tea kettle, lamp oil, chairs, a squeaky hippopotamus that <laughs> Carrot buys for him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at the end of the story, I do recall that the guards ask only for a new tea kettle and a pay raise. No, a pay raise and a dartboard. And a new tea kettle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pay raise, dartboard, new tea kettle. (laughs) Which, Vimes hasn't been let in on what they're gonna ask for, and you get the sense that Vimes would have asked for more. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Vimes is kind of looking at them like, what the heck? are you saying and veterinary and all the leaders of the city are there in front of the guards and they're like what what do you most desire it's like 
Could we get a $10 a month pay raise and also a new tea kettle and maybe quite possibly a dartboard? And Venonar is like, you you saved the city. And they're like, yes, that's what you want. Yes. Yes. And then Nobby says to Colin, you shouldn't have asked for the tea kettle. They're not, or, no, you shouldn't have asked for the dartboard. The, the dartboard was too much. <laughs> the dartboard was too much. And Vimes is looking at them like, you're, like, they could have done so much. They yeah, yeah. They could have done so much. Infinite riches. Frogs. <laughs> yeah. Or it could have been like, can we actually enforce the law? Yeah, yeah. Because their job up to this point until the dragon appeared was just to go around at night and say it's this hour at night and all is well and if they saw any crime going on to not interfere do not interfere yeah don't run after people like like run run after people look like you're doing something but don't actually ever get there to do anything because then you might get killed. Yeah, and then they'd have to hire a new guardsman. Yeah, and we see how that turned out with Carrot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, everybody thinks Carrot's crazy because he volunteers for the guard. <laughs> He's like, I want to be a good city guard. <laughs> it's an honorable position. And whereas Nobby has to be a guard because otherwise he was going to go to prison. <laughs> and... <laughs> Colin is just washed up and got transferred there, and Vimes, like, got demoted at some point Oh, in the yeah, past. yeah. Yeah. Isn't, wasn't Vimes some kind of nobility? I think so. He counts. Yeah. Like, there's, I don't know if that's in a different, no, that's in Jingo, I think. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it might be, like, alluded to. Yeah. But, but he's definitely a guy who's, like, fallen all the way down the hole. Absolutely. And he thinks it would, one, be too difficult to get back up, but also that's too much effort and he doesn't want to try and there's booze down here so he doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. Shit, what else haven't we covered in this one? That's a lot of it. I am excited uh, if we do decide to pursue more Discworld books, mm -hmm. because it's a lot easier to read these in a week than a Dark Tower novel. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm really excited to get further into these, because a lot of the more interesting characters get introduced. Okay. There's going to be a lot more people in the town's guard, and uh, a lot of, like, a lot of uh, racial diversity among those characters, in, like, the, the fantasy sense. Yeah, because I... Mind you, I haven't seen the first season of The Watch. Yeah. Uh, and I don't plan to, because I've heard it's... No, I've never seen The Watch either. It, it's bad. But they have more characters mm -hmm. in that first season, even though they're just covering the first book. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Like, do they... Oh, they probably... Do they add, like... Uh, characters from the later books, I think, like Anguar, I, uh... I, I don't know. That's fair. That's I've fair. just seen, like, in the ads, there's more characters in the watch than what I was expecting huh. when I opened this up, even though it's just the dragon plot. And I'm like, huh. And then I heard that, like, they really essentially did a character assassination on Vimes, and I was like, I'm not gonna... Oh, yeah. Yeah. In the later books, there will be an entire war covered in, in the Discworld style. <laughs> okay. Which is really interesting. It is inevitably, as always in the series, solved by, like, one single tiny action from Vetinari. <laughs> yeah, or <laughs> a minor technicality. 
world building, especially with the character, uh, like the fantasy races, trolls are really interesting in okay. these books. Keep your eye on Sergeant Detritus in either the next or the book after. Now, these are pretty easy to get through. I just recently finished, as in, by recently, I mean last night, mm. which has become a theme of finishing books <laughs> like the night before <laughs> we do this. I get it. I finished Mort, and even in that one, there's like one tiny action in the last maybe like five pages that solves everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that works for this type of series, though, because if you had, say, like, a Wheel of Time or a Dark Tower, yeah. and with just, oh, and here's the little line, everything's good now. It would not make sense for the amount of drama <laughs> and pain that those characters go through. God, no, but the the tone of this is such that you're allowed to have just, and then everything was better now. Yeah, it's, the the tone of this world is so that the character's suffering is the norm, but in a way that isn't, like, in a cartoonish way almost. Y yeah, it's not a slog. Absolutely not. Which is refreshing. <laughs> Their pain is our enjoyment. Yeah, whereas in non-comedy series, it's... Because this is more slapstick. The the pain is slapstick in this. Even when yeah. even when Vimes is who's very obviously a severe alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no like realistic Vimes kidney failure. Yeah, it's it's just like Vimes doesn't go to dialysis in this one. <laughs> yeah, um, he he no, just yeah. like you meet him and he's like sloshed and like sitting in a gutter, still with a bottle in his hand. And, yeah. But, it, the way it's described, he's trying to, like, remember something that he was supposed to be doing earlier, and it's presented in looking at a funny drunk guy, as opposed to looking at someone whose life is absolutely <laughs> horrid. Um, no, absolutely, yeah. Or, like, even with the librarian, who's an orangutan, don't, mm. don't call him a monkey because he will kill you. He's an orangutan. Yeah, but when he just murders a dude in the middle of a bar <laughs> <laughs> because he was eating peanuts and the, the guy called him a monkey, it's presented in a way that, like, yeah, that dude was probably deserving that, and he he was a big old jerk, and, and that's rather funny. When that was, in fact, just a rabid animal in a human's clothes, <laughs> killing someone over peanuts and vocabulary. Exactly. But yeah, no, Pratchett, he's able to make everything funny, even when it obviously shouldn't be. Like, death pops up a few times in Death the Character, not people dying. Yeah, yeah. A lot but of... also, a lot of people die in this book. Yeah, a lot of people die. But death is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Don't take that out of context. <laughs> In these books, it generally is. Either he or or it. Yeah, I, either... As in death the character or death people dying. Death the process. Yeah. Yeah. And death is like oddly... He's understanding and oddly compassionate. He's like, I get it, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you too? First time? Yeah, first time. No, someone dies pretty early in the book. They get burned to death by the dragon, and death pops up, and the guy's talking to him about how he went to a fortune teller, 
And the the fortune teller said, oh, you'll you'll live until really old age and you'll die in your bed surrounded by friends and family. What do you think of that? And then death, just no intonation in his voice or anything is just like, he was probably lying. He was probably lying. <laughs> yeah. In Jingo, there's uh, death shows up when a character a character related to the plot dies. Mm-hmm. This character uh, has had a lifelong experience with dandruff. Mm-hmm. And Death gave him advice about how shitty his shampoo was. <laughs> yeah, or at the end when Wants takes a long step off the edge of a balcony, he gets up and he. A lot of times in these books, people don't realize they're dead because you just like get up. Yeah. You're physically dead, but you're still kind of there. And that's where you meet Death. I'm like, oh, uh oh. Yeah, it's like, huh. But Wants, because. He's an idiot. <laughs> like, he's good with the process, but he's actually not very intelligent. Very smart, yeah. He gets up and he's like, what? Where am I? What's going on? And then he looks at the literal Grim Reaper and he's like, brother doorkeeper? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's... Because Death is dressed in, like, similar robes to the stupid cult robes that yeah. he and his buddies were wearing. And Death is just like... Metaphorically. <laughs> Metaphorically. Yeah. That's pretty good. This is a really good series. Yeah, it's fun. The only complaint is I found it so hard to get through this because I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. I knew everything that was going to happen. The, when when the dragon became king, I was like, oh, oh my god, I have no idea what's coming next now. And it was a page turner. Yeah. But up until that point, it was just me going through just laughing at the jokes but it wasn't new because i knew where the story was going wait what 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 exactly do you mean by that like you knew that you essentially knew that okay a dragon is gonna attack or no that the dragon was going to become king okay because this is the first paragraph of the back of the Mm. book oh yeah long believed extinct a superb specimen of draco nobilis or the noble dragon has appeared in discworld's greatest city not only does this unwelcome visitor have a nasty habit of charbroiling everything in its path in rather short order it is crowned king which is a funny way to describe a book that is that's a that's a summary of the plot but yeah i see what you mean yeah it also leads the reader to believe that that's going to be like the inciting incident or that there's... That, yeah, that does happen a lot later in the plot. That kicks off what is essentially the third act. Yeah. The dragon becomes king, and then the third act of the story commences. Yeah. Whereas the way that this describes it, that's maybe at the end of act one, if that. No, yeah, that does, that does, like, when you read the backs of other Discworld novels, it's normally, like, the one about going postal. Uh, comes to mind. I I haven't read that book, but I have read the back of it. Okay. Um, and it says like, oh, this character, you know, he, this this con man has finally run out of places to hide, and now he has to accept the government job to get by, or you know, like to <laughs> escape his his debt, essentially. Okay. And so that makes sense because it sets up this character's struggle instead of this is actually just what happens near the end of the book yeah if they said like uh sam vines is a piece of shit uh (laughs) guardsman who's uh down on his luck and trying to figure out an odd string of murders where people have been charbroiled to death that would be like oh what's going on here and then it's like it's a dragon 
It's a dragon. It's, it's dragon. But the, but the dragon appears as the inciting incident. Yeah. So if you set it up as the dragon appearing, being the thing that turns everything upside down on the back of the book, that's more true to what actually happens in the story. The way they did it, it makes two-thirds of the novel feel like like setup. Yeah, yeah. For, for an action scene at the end. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I have more just right here, so I'm going to read the back of that right. to, to compare. Death comes to everyone eventually on Discworld, and now he's come to Mort with an offer the young man can't refuse. No, literally. Can't refuse, since being dead isn't exactly compulsory. Actually, it's a pretty good deal. As Death's apprentice, Mort will have free board and lodging. He'll get use of the company horse and he won't have to take any time off for family funerals. But despite the obvious perks, young Mort is about to discover that there is a serious downside to working for the Reaper Man, because this perfect job can be a killer on one's love life. <laughs> like, that it doesn't spoil the plot, and it is a joke that, that like, it's, it's a, a well-set-up joke as well. Yeah, and, I mean, I guess mild spoilers, Mort is Death's apprentice, but that yeah. happens in the first 20 pages. Yeah, I don't think something that should logically be in, like, say, a movie trailer about something. Or, uh, like, yeah, a quick, quick spoiler-free synopsis. Yeah. And then even the reference to the killer on one's love life, that joke is a reference to the inciting incident of the narrative. Uh, oh, I, that's, that's, a, that's really smart, actually, to allude. Like, yeah. Allude to and... So, I mean, you know, we've talked about this one complaint of mine for ten minutes, but it's important because uh, movies movies will do this too. Like, do you remember the very first ad for Spider-Man uh, Homecoming? Vaguely? Back in, like, God, when was that? 2017? I think that's when that movie came out. Yeah. Uh, that was five years ago. Jesus. I don't remember that shit. I didn't care then. <laughs> I, I was still a freshman in college. I would have been a freshman in... I would have been an 8th grader. Jeez. Uh, so, thanks for making me feel old. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Um, the... Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man Homecoming. That movie spoils the entire plot. Or, or that... The trailer. Ad, that, that trailer spoils the entire plot. Besides maybe like one twist... And the third act. Mm. And it gave me the exact same feeling that the back of this book gave me. Because while watching Spider-Man Homecoming in theaters for the first time was fun, I knew everything that was going to happen. Yeah. And I was laughing my ass off reading this. But I was only able to read like 20, 30 pages at a time at any given time because... It would get to a point where, like, if you laugh too much for too long, you get tired, and the jokes start having, like, diminishing returns. Yeah. Maybe that's just me, but that's how I interact with comedy. I, I, yeah, I I guess you just start to sort of desensitize to the, like, stream of humor that you're, you're getting. Yeah, like, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is probably one of my favorite television shows. Yeah, that's, that's a good show. If I watch five or six episodes in a row... By the end of it, episodes that are objectively hysterical, I'm just looking at, and I'm like, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that would happen with me in this book, but then I wouldn't keep reading because 
I could already tell where the story was going. So Exactly, yeah. So ideally when comedy starts to die off or you're becoming desensitized because you've been just inundated with too much of it, then the narrative is what keeps you around and keeps pulling you forward. Yeah, yeah. But Mm -hmm. you already know what's happening in the narrative. Yeah. And that sucks because Terry Pratchett is a really good writer. Yeah. And his narratives are really interesting. Mm -hmm. And and he's very funny. Like, he doesn't repeat jokes. It it doesn't feel like he repeats jokes. No, yeah. One of my biggest complaints, not biggest, one of my gripes about, say, like, The Wheel of Time, which is very different, but... Yeah. (laughs) Obviously. But is that Robert Jordan just has, like, this one joke, essentially, (laughs) that he repeats multiple times and mind you this is like a 15 book series oh yeah uh and they're all like 700 pages long and, and so you just you get this just, one every now and it's then. like huh okay it's like of these three like main male characters i don't think i'm very good with women i wish my friend was here he's better with women and then the the friends are like i don't think i'm very good with women i wish my friends were here they're better with women they seem like they know what they're doing (laughs) which is which is very funny i laughed out loud like the first time like like the first time i read it and then the second time i read it in the next book i was like huh that's a cool callback uh, and then it just happens like every single book. <laughs> like so, Robert. Like depending on where it pops up, it'll give me a chuckle. But I'm like, I suppose you you spent all of your creative energies doing on, e- your, on all your wheels <laughs> and all your times on everything else in this series, and the joke factory just kind of like <laughs> lost funding. <laughs> wish I was good with women. <laughs> it's like, dude, you have three wives. <laughs> <laughs> this is my copy. Mm-hmm. You can tell because it's significantly crunchier and I spilled coffee on the first six pages. Spilled water on this. <laughs> my uh, my copy of Dune is water damage. And I think that's important to me. Yeah. <laughs> Dune can't have water damage. <laughs> At least not until book seven. <laughs> <laughs> You want to talk about Gizverse? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I I don't know. So my thing, whenever it comes to a series of anything, yeah. is I know one part of it really well, generally. Okay. So I know Murder of the Universe really well. And I would say my my knowledge from there is a little lacking. I'm not up to date on the theories. Me either. No, no, God, me either. I haven't been up to date for... I don't think I've been up to date since last year. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, there's... (laughs) The entire fan base is rather unsure as to whether they're doing anything with this. Yeah. I like the unsureness that it is of whether or not it's actually real. (laughs) Yeah. The greatest story you've never read. The greatest story that isn't there. Yeah, the greatest story that might not even be told. <laughs> do you know if there's supposed to be any... Uh, well, I guess neither of us are, are up to date on it, but do, do you suspect that there is any Gizverse implications of the new album? Omnium Gatherium? Yeah. I think there is in just simply, like, the album art. Fair enough. Magenta Mountain probably fits in somewhere. They're, they're going there. Yeah. They, they always seem to be going somewhere. Yeah, they're, they're on the road train. They're, they're going 
through the door. <laughs> yeah, they're going through the door. They're trying to they're trying to find the land with one-eyed people and stomies and yeah. monopods. It's God. It's this. So, for anybody that doesn't know, Gizburs is um, the sci-fi fantasy universe set up probably just by Stu McKenzie, but yeah, with input from other members of the band King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Whenever I imagine the inner workings of that band, I just imagine Stu moving and speaking really fast, <laughs> and everyone else just kind of blindly trying to follow him. Yeah. He's very much... See, every single member of the band has side projects. Oh, yeah. Except for Stu. Who, like, all of his projects are just this one. Yeah, all of his projects are just King Giz, because he writes most of the music, yep. he, he's the lyricist for almost everything. He plays um, half the instruments. <laughs> he plays, he plays like eight different instruments. Yeah, no, he's insane. Yeah, he's, he's really just this, I would say, creative genius. I'd say, yeah. And one of those creative endeavors fans have theorized to be the Gizverse, which is this story that is told through all of their albums, mm-hmm. uh, or at least most of their albums, and it's got multiple levels of reality and parallel dimensions, and yeah. it takes place over the course of, like, three separate universes, and... There's simulations, and the universe ends... Yeah, the universe ends and is reborn, and there's simulations of all of this stuff. It's... Yeah. There's a lot of crazy robot shit. Yeah. I love, in the the very first lyrics of the second half of I'm In Your Mind Fuzz. Yeah. Which you've heard, yeah. I have. I don't know the lyrics very well. Okay, I listen to that album, like, on a weekly basis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Stu just sings, I've got fears in my brain about the end of the world that I won't even say. Yeah. And then the next, like, eight albums are all descriptions of different, like, ways <laughs> the world can ends end. of the world. <laughs> yeah, like, like, just this horrifying stuff, like, Fishing for Fishies and Infest the Rat's Nest mm-hmm. are the same story. Are they? Yeah, just told in different ways. That's awesome! Yeah, so, like, the... Wait, so in Fishing with Fishies, they're, like... It's like manned missions to Venus, or is it no. a little more couched than that? It's it's not that. It's talking about like the physical destruction of the world, but okay. in this happy like bluesy kind of yeah. pop music. Whereas <clears throat> in Rat's Nest, Rat's Nest, it's it's thrash metal, yeah. and it's talking about how. Uh, all the rich people live on Mars and they're nuking the Earth and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we're and, flying to Venus and half of them die. Like, there's yeah, there's like three songs about the journey to Venus, the sun blowing up, and then I don't even know what a perihelion is if I'm gonna be honest. Yeah. Um, and then the the uh, the song about all the Venusians dying. Yeah. And like pissing themselves and screaming about tornadoes. <laughs> yeah. It covers the same like area of history yeah in in this universe that's really cool yeah um because both of them end with the birth of uh hantayumi oh oh yeah yeah huh okay wait so and i'm especially familiar with the last part of the song 15 infantry paratroop into the propylene new scene hells where they want to be infest the rat's nest duh 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 yeah um 
is is that I I'm not sure if that's supposed to be the referential part. How does uh how does the end of Rat's Nest and uh how is that Hans Ayumi? I'm unsure. Okay. Well, because because side boogie ends with is, oh is the end. Okay. Of, uh, I see. I see what you mean there. Is the end of fishing for fishies, and that's just the birth of Hantayumi's mind. Okay. Essentially, I uh, yeah I th- I think I I heard a theory about how side boogie is the theory I might have heard is that uh, side boogie is a creation of Hantayumi. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whereas. Well, because he he appears on the cup like the album art for Fishing for Fishies. Okay. Like, have you seen this? I think I have. Yeah. Let me let me pull this up. You know, if it actually wants to load. Oh yeah. Here we are. It has this robot wearing overalls and. Oh no! Yeah, that's definitely Hans Hayumi. Yeah, standing in a marsh and fishing, but the water is on fire and he's surrounded by smoke. So already you're like, oh, this is about some not good stuff happening to the planet. No, yeah. Um, <clears throat> that is cool. There are like different levels of this sci-fi world, and it's all kind of like jerry-rigged together by Nanagon. I yeah. feel like, because Nanagon is an end of the world, but it's also like this chaos dimension, and it's pulling together all this different stuff. Okay, yeah. Like the Lord of Lightning... Mm-hmm. Is definitely the Lord in uh, in um, Polygon Wonderland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, would that be um, in the third part of Polygon Wonderland? Yeah, in that starts off with Horology. Yeah, the Horology trilogy. Yeah, yeah. And I then, don't understand that trilogy very well. Yeah, I understand the the one before that came before it. That's a pretty easy story. But I understand that he gets some kind of power, which is the. the Fourth color. Fourth color. I almost said the third vision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He so he can see the fourth color. Uh huh. Which kind of reminds me of Discworld, um, which we can we can bring that back. Or we can <laughs> yeah. bring that back into this 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 uh, literature podcast that has become a uh, Gizverse podcast. <laughs> Why not? But it reminds me of uh, Octarine, the color of magic. Yeah, the eighth almost. color. Yeah. But so. So this is like one of the sci-fi elements in Gizverse, which combines fantasy. The Lord of Lightning is essentially a god that can shoot lightning from his fingertips. Yeah. But the fourth color, that's just an extra cone in your eyes. Okay, so it's literally just like shrimp colors. Yeah. Yeah, at that point. Because they talk about uh, caribou have four colors, or have four Mm. color cones in their eyes so they can um, see electricity. Okay, yeah. Around power lines. And there's an uprising against the Lord of Lightning, and it's squashed. Of course. (laughs) Like, I will draw and quarter all your children just to prove I'm not a coward. Yeah, yeah. And then the the survivor of the rebellion goes off, and that's narrated by... I forget the woman's name. Oh, uh, Leia Sr. Leia Sr. She's actually on tour with them right now. Really? Yeah, she's going to be the one opening for them in October when I go up to see them. That's really cool. Yeah. I thought when you said on tour with them, I assumed in their band. And so I was like, oh, do you think they'll be performing uh, performing murder? Yeah, they, they might, though, because if, if she's with them, they'll yeah. probably do some Polygon Wonderland and murder. She's the survivor of this rebellion, and... It's kind of implied, so she's going off to find a way to augment her eyes so she can see the Lord of Lightning coming. Oh, okay, I get it. But it's also believed that she's the one that becomes Hantayumi. Okay. Yeah. 
by like having these cybernetic augmentations to be able to oh that's really sick yeah all right uh i'm trying to think of anything within my expertise in this universe <laughs> that could fall into we just need the most complex possible web of lies that connects <laughs> the gizmers like we need everything in there yeah but can we get some eyes in the sky uh <laughs> greater gizmers implications eyes like this guy yeah but isn't that just what people have already been doing on the internet you're right we need to make a bigger one yeah because gizmers is ostensibly just a really complex fan theory that's been goaded on by different creative mm. ideas exact broiling in Stu mckenzie's mind we need to make worse fan <laughs> theories <laughs> worse we, fan we need theory. to get i don't know how but i bet we could like i don't know can we fit the rush discography in there <laughs> 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 is there any way uh any way we could work a little like a little emerson like in paula palmer a little anything see, see see okay how about this how about this the road train in nonagon infinity is actually just a future version of the train that you take to terrapin station by the grateful dead <laughs> 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 so <laughs> and between being the terrapin station train and becoming the road train, it's actually just Blaine the Mono. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking... I should have taken that one first. From the Dark Tower series. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so now we've got all of Stephen King's multiverse in there. And we've got all of the Grateful Dead's discography in there, too. <laughs> and you see, actually, Murder of the Universe does work in perfectly. Because that altered beast we all talked about, uh, that's really Chewbacca from Star Wars. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, and this is the universe where the extended universe is still canon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that's all the Star Wars novels. Yes, every single, like, all 500 of them. <laughs> or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I bet it's way more than 500. And every comic book. Every comic. Uh, Star Wars comics were really weird. I read yeah. those as a kid. Yeah, which means that we have just connected the song El Paso to the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Okay, okay, okay. Oh wait, that <laughs> yeah, the, that the, would mean the, the Star Wars the... holiday special <laughs> is also canon <laughs> in the Gizmers, which would mean uh, Jefferson Starship is in is in the Gizmers. Oh my God, you're right. Jefferson Starship is in the Gizmers, which loops it back around to the Grateful Dead because <laughs> Jerry Garcia came up with the name for Red Octopus and did backup guitar on that album. You know what else has guitars in it? Ayo. Hang on, wait, let me think of a joke really quick. Okay. My house, my house is in the Gizverse. <laughs> well, if we're on Earth, we're in the Gizverse, because this universe is technically one of the ones that will be destroyed when Hantayumi takes over. That's fair. Yeah. And Infest the Rat's Nest happens in only, like, uh, 20, 30 years. Yeah. Well, now I feel sad. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Discworld! <laughs> anyway, back to Discworld. Speaking of multiverses, Discworld is one of them. Really? Yeah. Well, it's made as a joke. Parties in, like, Rio or New Amsterdam or wherever. 
um, are just consistent are are nowhere near as wild as parties in Ankh-Morpork. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And death references the fact that this is just one universe. Of what? Just one universe of many. Yeah. It's pretty cool because that allows Terry Pratchett to just reference, like, Earth stuff. Yeah, yeah. To, to make the reader be able to, like, get a joke. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it makes perfect sense because it's an absurdist <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like an absurd comedy novel. Mm-hmm. I think it, it sticks to fantasy just enough. Yeah, it'll make references to actual like scientific knowledge or discoveries, but yeah. it's more just so that we have a basis of understanding. And at no point, yeah, at no point does it avoid any like complex fantasy world building or heavy lifting in that regard. Yeah, at all. Like you've got goblins and cursed pyramid creatures no and, yeah, yeah and if it's been in a fantasy like a, in a classical fantasy series or mythology somewhere mm-hmm. pratchett will probably throw it in at some point pratchett's not only just throw it in but make it his own yeah like the entire isolated country of clatch mm-hmm. clatch is incredibly relevant to the plot of jingo actually okay is that the next one no actually that's uh so there's Monstrous Regiment, and there's Thud. I don't know which order those go in. And then I think it might be Jingo. Alrighty. I think Jingo might be the last one in the Guard series. I thought there were like eight Guards books, though. Uh, maybe there are. I could be mistaken on that. There is, uh, there's straight up uh, one of the Guards books where they try and catch the guy who's going on a, like, a murderous rampage with the first gun. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That sounds very funny. No, yeah, I'm really excited for that one. I don't know which one it is, though. Oh, there's a book 1.5. I haven't even heard of that one. It's called Theater of Cruelty. All right. So there's one. We won't count that one. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, there's eight of them. Okay. And then there's a couple of short stories, it looks like. But yeah, Jingo is book four, and then Thud is book seven. Damn. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, I think I might have more, actually. Yeah. I might try and finish that by uh, by our next meeting. Okay. What? Men-at-arms or what, Jingo? Oh, Mort. Oh, Mort. Yes. I thought you said more. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. You should definitely read it. Absolutely. <laughs> I have just trouble thinking about and conceptualizing death. So, oh, yeah. So, I mean, as most humans would... I haven't died. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. It took me a minute to get through, but that was just because of my own personal issues. Ah, oh, yeah. But it's, it's a story that's worth reading, and it's a rather wholesome meditation on what it means to be alive. That's really nice. Hell yeah. All right. I think with that, I think we've said everything we want to say about... I've said everything I want to say about uh, Guards Guards. Yeah. I've, I've said everything as well. The, the Gizver stuff, I'll probably just cut down and yeah it can we can have short asides i think yeah honestly i might just put that section up on youtube if you don't mind no yeah perfectly fine with me okay well that was the show as always it is tuesday i am tuesday i am sherman and i hope you have a wonderful day as usual you can find me on youtube at i am tuesday and you can find Sherman at... Uh, at St. Toral on Instagram. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Goodbye.